Good morning and welcome to Wanda Sticks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And I am at day two of the Pan-African Federalist Conference looking at um, the North um, American African um, perspective on a United States of Africa. And I am going to rebroadcast an interview I had with um, Walimu um, Amsada, who is the North Africa, no, excuse me, the North American, North America um, uh, liaison to the um, to the federal to the Pan African Federalist Movement, and so anyway, it's really it's a really phenomenal um, conference, and I highly encourage everyone to join. It's twenty five dollars for all of through it's through um, Monday. Uh, October 19th. So join join the group, and uh, it's free for 18 children, for young people 18 under. And there is a uh, there is a $10 um, donation for for youth from 18 to 20 something, and then for us grown folks, it's $25 for the entire conference. Really enlightening. Today is the uh, 25th anniversary of the Million Man March, and there's going to be a special um, presentation around that, and then tomorrow is an anniversary. I can't remember which one, <laughs> but anyway, I highly recommend that you attend. So here is the um, rebroadcast.
Ah, up you mighty people. Uh, you can accomplish what you will. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Brother Jahahara Okabilan Ma'at uh, with the song that he dedicated to Marcus Garvey. And I was playing it because of our guest we have in the studio. We haven't spoken to him in a long time. But there's a great conference getting ready to happen. Um, the Pan-African Federalist Movement is presenting uh, African Political Unity for Sovereignty and Upliftment on Thursday, October 15th until Monday, October 19th via Zoom. And there are going to be some really phenomenal speakers, and we have one of them on the air with us right now. Good morning, um, <clears throat> Brother Mwalimu. KQ Amsada, also known as Brother Edward H. Brown, Jr. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Sister Wanda. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been too long since I've seen you and your lovely family, and you've just been, like, jetting all over the African diaspora, you know, um, doing the things that you do. You were born in Harlem, New York, USA, uh, during the heyday of Congressman Adam Powell Jr. and Malcolm X. Um, you um, were Syracuse University uh, as a uh, 1965 to 1969 as a black student activist and who was a founding member of the Student African American Society. That was in 1967. The father of Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library in 1968 and chairman of the student committee that fought for the establishment of the African-American Studies Department, 1969. Later, in 1978, you earned a Master's in Public Administration from the university's Maxwell School. Um, with regards to the Congress of Racial Equality, um, 1967 to 75, you were the Director of Political Affairs, and you were Delegate to the Black Political Convention in 1972, and you served on the African Liberation Support Committee in 1972 as well. You established CORE as a consultative, no, consultative? Yeah. <laughs> Non-governmental organization uh, with the United Nations uh, in 1973, and you attended the 12th Summit Organization of African Union, of the African Union in East Africa and Uganda in 1975. Uh, you were also active uh, in Trans-Africa, um, 1984 to 1991, during the period leading up to the freedom of Nelson Mandela from prison. Um, you were also active in the All-African Students Conference, um, May 17th to, to uh, 19th in 1996 at Temple University. Um, first presentation of a visionary paper, and you're also an author of Lots of a book or two or three, um, but this paper was entitled "United Africa by 2020," and here we are in 2020. Uh, the synergy of Garvey, Malcolm, Kruma, and um, wow, you've done a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's jump down to um, that. You are the program uh, chair of the 25th anniversary celebration of the African American Culture Society, Palm Coast, Florida. Uh, 2016, and the chair of the AACS's Pan-African Study Group presently. 
and you are the coordinator of the Pan-African Federalist Movement in North America since 2015. And uh you led the North American delegation to the 60th anniversary of All African Peoples Conference, and the Pan African Federalist Movement pre-conference in Accra, Ghana, in December 2018. And uh, and we are here today to talk about this conference. So anything that I I I glanced over, um, you know, please feel free to go back to. But I also want to let our audience know that. Um, you're the author of the new Pan-African 2020, and it was first published in 2012, and people can get that book and come up to speed on what's going on in the African diaspora around uniting all of us. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I was going to try and remember who that guy was who did all that stuff. <laughs> but... Um... <laughs> Yeah, that was a short version. Like, <laughs> you've been busy, brother. You've been so busy, Walimu. Yeah, well, you know, the, the I, first place I admired the song that was that was being played as I was listening. It spoke to uh, uh, <clears throat> Up Your Mighty Race, Marcus Garvey, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it spoke to Kwame Nkrumah, Forward Ever, Backward Never. And I'm been busy because the work and the vision of uh, Marcus Garvey for United States of Africa. He wrote a poem entitled that in 1927, and as well mm-hmm. as he urged his people. Uh, uh, that was the major mission of his organization, the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. The major mission of his organization was to establish a, a central nation for the race. Uh, he talked about the United States of Africa. That poem was written in 1927. And <clears throat> He talked in his in his basic fundamental essay, African Fundamentalism. He talked about uh, establishing an African global political entity on which the sun shall never set. Garvey's it was his vis- that was his vision uh, almost a hundred years ago. And Kwame Nkrumah at that conference that you were talking about that we celebrated the 60th anniversary in 19, 2018 in 1958 at the All African People's Congress uh, conference, which brought together the uh, independent countries of Africa. It was Guinea and Ghana at the time and, and in some countries in North Africa. But 62 movements from across the uh, continent uh, <clears throat> that were fighting and struggling for the liberation of their countries included people like uh, Tom Aboya from Kenya, who was chairman of it, and even some representatives from North America, Charles Diggs, who was a congressman at the time. But at that meeting, because uh, you got to bear in mind that, that the flow of the liberation movement at that time, uh, the Ghana became independent in 1958. Guinea became independent in nine. I mean, Ghana became independent in 1957. Guinea in 1958. The conference took place in 1958, December. And then in 1960, there was an explosion, political explosion. That over 18 countries became independent. Uh, those 18 countries will be celebrating their 60th anniversary this year in 2020. And then another 16 before the decade of the 60s were out. And we weren't exactly twiddling our thumbs over here in North America at the time. But anyway, at that conference, uh, Kwame Nkrumah said, uh, this is the decade of independence, a decade of African independence, independence now, tomorrow, the United States of Africa. So that's 60 years ago. So we got 100 years ago, 60 years ago. Uh, so I was... Uh, and then <clears throat> in, in 1997, 
Julius Neri, the first uh, president of Tanzania and one of the founding fathers of modern Africa. Uh, he, he, he remembered, uh, he was given a speech on the 40th anniversary of Ghana in 1997, and he went back to remembering when Kwame Nkrumah became, when Ghana became independent in 1958 when he was a young person, and he now witnessed over 40 countries between 1957 and 1994 in May when Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa, the first black president. He's witnessed over 40 countries becoming independent, but he's had a front row seat uh, as one of the um, founders, as I mentioned before, the first founder of, uh, the first president of Tanzania, and one of the, um, <clears throat> one of the many uh, heads of the Organization of African Unity. So in 1957, I'm connecting him to Garvey in 1927, Haley, United States of Africa, uh, Kwame Nkrumah in 1958, uh, tomorrow, the United States of Africa. So in 1997, uh, 48 years later, he says, and he's 75 years old, he's an eldest, African elder statesman at the time, this time. He, he passes two years later in 1999. But he gives a speech on, a, on the 40th anniversary of Ghana's independence. And he observes, it's basically, he gives a, ba- a self-assessment of his entire generation of leaders in Africa. And he says that... Um, They've succeeded in liberating uh, independent countries in Africa, individual countries. And he's talking again from Ghana to South Africa over the last um, 37 years. It's a 37-year period in between those two events. And then he says, uh, but, but, but he says that the OAU, and I'm going to use his words, the Organization of African Unity has failed miserably on the question of African unification. He says that we dropped the ball after Kwame Nkrumah uh, was overthrown in, in 66, um, and we basically, we, we, di- we didn't even form an African Unification Committee. We had an African Liberation Committee. So he says they, we, failed the, we, we dropped the ball on that question, and we failed miserably. Those are his words. And he says, we, and he's challenged to our generation, and here you get to the Pan-African Federalist Movement. The challenge to our generation is to, bring, is, is to take, pick up that banner that they dropped, that my gener- his generation dropped, and fight for the unification of Africa, because without unity, again, his words, without unity, there is no future for Africa. So that brings us to the mission of the Pan-African Federalist Movement. And the mission of the Pan-African Federalist Movement uh, is to bring the united Africans into political existence now, And because we've been talking about it for over 100 years. And we expand the term united African states uh, because we include not only the 55 states in Africa, but also the African states in the Caribbean, Jamaica, Haiti, Trinidad, et cetera. And the, <coughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, 48 million, um, 48 million point nine uh, Africans, people of African ancestry in the United States, so over 1 million people of African ancestry in in Canada, so that makes about 50 million African people, which would be like the eighth largest African nation on earth. So we also include that population uh, as part of this United uh, African States. Uh, That's how we see it. And the conference that you made reference to, which is going to be taking place uh, October 15th to the 19th next week, it's a visual conference. You could register for it. The theme of that conference is African political unification for sovereignty and upliftment. And uh, I, I could 
I could talk a little bit about what we mean by sovereignty and the limited sovereignty that, that African states currently have and what we're trying to, uh, by, uh, by having a united African states, which would have 1.3 billion people in it. Uh, but let me stop there, Sister Wanda, because I think I've said a mouthful, so there may be some questions on what I have said. But I was trying to tie together uh, the theme, uh, the song that you had in the beginning, which made reference to Garvey and Nkrumah, and the um, mission of the Pan-African Federalist Movement from a historical perspective, uh, which, again, is to bring the United African States into political existence now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was that was um well it, you know it wasn't an uh, an undigestible or indigestible mouthful I mean because you know for those um, of um, of us who might not know you know the details for instance you know I wish I had known about you know the 2018 um, journey that that would have been really nice to go you know to honor you know this particular important anniversary. And and to be in uh, in Ghana, you know, in Accra, you know, for for that particular you know gathering. So yeah, so yeah, I would like for you to continue uh, telling us about the Pan African uh, Federalist Movement and this conference that's coming up, and who's going to be speaking, and what you're going to be talking about, and then some more about your work. Okay, um, <clears throat> the. Um the trip to Ghana in December of 19, I'm sorry, 2018, uh, which again was 60 years after the uh, All African People's Conference, which I made reference to earlier, where Kwame Nkrumah said, tomorrow the United States of Africa. It was the 60th anniversary of that conference, uh, but it was also the uh, pre-Congress of the um, <clears throat> Pan-African Federalist Movement. We had originally thought that we were going to have it in Senegal in, 19, in 2017, uh, but circumstances were that we couldn't do it that year, so we decided to do it in 2018. And once we did, we noticed that it coincided with the um, uh, 60th anniversary of the All-African People's Congress. So we worked with Samaya Nkrumah, the daughter of Kwame Nkrumah, who was the head of um, the Kwame Nkrumah uh, Association, uh, the co-sponsor that, that, that so so we tied the two events together our po- our pre-congress and uh, the 60th anniversary. Uh, we say pre-congress because the plan is to have a global congress uh, probably in 2022, uh, 2021 at the earliest. Uh, and, and at that congress, um, the people from the Pan-African Federalist movement from across the globe will be getting together. I mentioned, or you mentioned, but I'll, but I'll uh, restate that I am the coordinator for the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm the coordinator for the Regional Coordinating Committee for North America, and North America includes the United States and Canada. That's about 50 million African people. Uh, but there are nine, eight other uh, regions. Uh, this is the North American uh, region. Uh, Regional Coordinating Committee. There's a Regional Coordinating Committee in the Caribbean. Uh, there's a Regional Coordinating Committee for uh, Latin America, which includes all of the uh, Spanish and Portuguese countries in, in, uh, in this hemisphere, in the Western Hemisphere. And then there's, an, on the continent of Africa itself, there's the Regional Coordinating Committee for West Africa, which includes all of the countries in West Africa. 
Southern Africa, uh, Eastern Africa, Central Africa, North Africa, North Africa, and on the, also in the European. So each of those uh, countries have a, um, a regional coordinating committee, just like the one we have here in North America. And we meet together on the International Preparatory Committee uh, once a month, the first beginning of the month. And I talk with my counterparts who are also you know, from these other areas. So, uh, in, the, in, we have, in the major mission of the International Preparatory Committee, uh, which we got from that conference in, in, uh, in, in Ghana in 2018, is to plan for this global uh, Pan-African Federalist Congress, uh, which I, you know, so each, in, so steps on the way would be, we're asking, each of the regions is supposed to have a constituent assembly, which we're calling a North American uh, Pan-African Federalist Convention, which is taking place next week, uh, as, a, as one of the steps in terms of preparing uh, the interests and looking out for what the interest is of the, of the African people in our respective areas. So our convention, uh, uh, what we're calling it, yeah, we're calling it a convention. Yeah, our convention uh, next week will be dealing with uh, three basic questions, and for each day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there's going to be a workshop around each one of the questions. And the first question is, what does the campaign for the United African States need from African people in, the, in America, in North America? There's going to be a workshop just dealing with that on Friday. <coughs> the second question is, um, what shall be the expectations of African people in North America from the United African States? And there's another workshop on that on Saturday, just dealing with that from 10 o'clock until 12 o'clock, uh, and then from 1 o'clock until 3 o'clock, and then from 3 to 4, there's going to be a plenary uh, session bringing it all together. And that's the structure for each of the days. On Sunday, we'll deal with the third question, which is, what will be the rights of African people in North America? Uh, or how will the rights of African people in North America figure into the Constitution of the United African States. <laughs> so, so those are the three basic questions that we will be dealing with at this convention, uh, whose, again, the theme is African political unity for sovereignty and upliftment. And I'm, I wanna, and I'm gonna come back to sovereignty after, after this um, uh, brief statement. <clears throat> so we will be having, <clears throat> so those are the three basic workshops. In addition, um, we're going to have uh, on each of the days, uh, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to have a after the workshops, which is a central part of the, the meeting. I mean, again, that's from 10 o'clock until, until uh, uh, around 4 o'clock. Uh, after that, around 4.30 or 5, 5 o'clock, we're going to have a tribute, one-hour tribute to what I'm calling the uh, 50th or the 25th uh, the 50th and the 100th. The 25th on Friday is the 25th anniversary of the Million Man March. Uh, on Saturday, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of the uh, Congress of African People uh, uh, meeting that took place in Atlanta in 1970. And uh, one of our guest speakers, A. Peter Bailey, uh, who worked with Malcolm X and, is, and has a new book getting ready to, getting ready to come out very soon. He was the, uh, one of Malcolm X's bodyguards. 
and he's an active member of the Pan-African Federalist Movement. He was with us in Ghana. Uh, he's going to be uh, leading that discussion because back in 1970, in September, he wrote a nine-page article in Jet Magazine just on the Congress of African People, that, that meeting in 1970, which brought together uh, African people from all over the uh, African leaders from from Obama Baraka to Ralph Abernathy, Jesse Jackson, Roy Anderson Corr. Uh He was there. And I was there also, ironically, as a 23-year-old graduate student uh, by the university, uh, the black organization, the Syracuse University. But by that time, I was a, I was more sophisticated. I was a grad student. Uh, so anyway, I was at that conference in 1970. So, so on Saturday, we're having a tribute to that 50th anniversary. And then finally, on Sunday, uh, remember I said 25, 50th, and 100th? On Sunday, it's the 100th and a tribute to the 100th anniversary to the uh, first convention of African people of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. First convention of uh, but, but the term then was the Negro people of the world. That was the convention that was called together by uh, Marcus Garvey and the Universal Negro Improvement Association. Uh, in August of uh, 1920, and that was a convention, by the way, that brought together uh, <clears throat> uh, over 25,000 people from 40 different countries, uh, African people from 40 different countries, and they met for the entire month of August. Imagine just a convention from the entire month of August, August 1st to August um, uh, 31st, and August 17th happened to have been Marcus Garvey's 33rd birthday. He was 33 years old when he was doing all of this organizing. Uh, oh, but that wow. convention, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that convention was historically significant because uh, it established the red, black, and green uh, Pan African flag, which we all use. That that was a resolution that came out of that convention uh, 100 years ago. It is it it, it writ it wrote uh, a bill of rights for African people, both here in North America, which dealt with all of the issues that we were dealing with from segregation to lynching. Uh, to all of the other uh, degraded issues that we've been facing in North America for the past 400 years. But it also dealt with the rights of African people globally. In fact, you got to bear in mind that Africa was at its nadir at that time. Uh, in African people, we were at the height of uh, Jim Crow in uh, North America. The Reconstruction period had ended. There was no no representation in Congress, and we were being lynched left and right. And Africa was fully colonized, with the exception of Ethiopia and in, in, uh, uh, Liberia. So you had a situation where uh, Africa is fully colonized, we're fully uh, uh, oppressed in, in the United States and in North America. And we managed, the Congress manages to bring together, that, that Marcus Garvey and the Universal Negro Improvement Association managed to bring together a conference in 1920, which Again, uh, delegates from 40 countries across the globe, African delegates, and they met for the entire month of August, and they deliberated over these these questions. Uh, What are the rights of African people established the the, um, red, black, and green? And they also elected the first provisional president of Africa. And Marcus Garvey ran against a Dr. Lewis from Nigeria in a democratic election. I stress that because people say, well, he appointed himself. No, there was a democratic election by this convention of 25,000 delegates representing 40 different countries across the globe, 
uh, meeting for the entire month of August. It was a democratic election. I mean, you consider the fact that African people were completely under siege at our nadir in Africa and here. And if you could pull together 25,000 delegates for the entire month of August to deliberate on the issues of African people in 1920, that was a legitimate election. So I recognize Marcus Garvey as the first uh, provisional president of Africa. Our challenge in this generation is to bring the United African States into political existence. And I intend to be in Africa, and you with me, Wanda, uh, sometime in this decade, hopefully earlier in this decade, but definitely before the decade is out, to watch the, the United African States come into political existence and see the first, the first um, uh, president, permanent president of the United African States put her hand up and take the oath of as, as president. And at that point, she'll be president of a of a, of a global political entity that Garvey talked about on which the sun shall never set with 1.3, more than 1.3 billion people. And we will be able to look China in the face, India in the face, Europe in the face, and deal with them as a, as a global political entity of African people. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so remember the, the theme of the convention is um, African political unification for sovereignty and upliftment. Uh, that will, once that political entity comes into existence, it will be dealing with uh, the sovereignty of African people from a much stronger position. Because even though I mentioned over that 37-year period from uh, Ghana's independence in 1957 to South Africa's independence in 1994, uh, first president of South Africa, even though the 40 countries became independent, it was really flag independence because uh, – Right now, they've surrendered involuntarily parts of their sovereignty to Europe, to China. Uh, you see people coming in and, and just taking over land and, and, and draining the, the, the many resources. I mean, Africa has enough resources. The world needs Africa, but Africa doesn't necessarily need the world. But, but it's, it's able to play off these 55 countries. China could play off this one against that one because China has over a billion people in the most populous country in Africa is Nigeria, which has about 200 million. So you have one, this one big power playing off. You've got Europe playing us off. But once we have the United African States, which would be a global, politi- a global political entity, which Garvey envisioned. I don't say they had dreams. Garvey and Nkrumah had a vision, and it is our mission in our generation and the Pan-African Federalist Movement's mission to bring that vision into fruition. But once that happens, uh, now China will be dealing with a nation, a, a global nation that has 1.3 billion people in, in climbing, um, and it would be a completely different deal. I mean, that government will, will, will absorb the debt that, that all of the independent countries have, have, and then they would have to deal with directly with that government, uh, which would be able to, uh, which would be in a much stronger position to deal with the destiny and the, and the rights of African people in, on the continent, and throughout the globe and ensure the complete the management of our resources in our best interest. So that's the uh the vision that that we uh intending to uh, <clears throat> to make the, to bring into existence. This convention is a step in that direction. It's in preparation for the Congress. And the Congress is gonna lay the foundations for the United African States. And we yeah. do have um, uh <clears throat> I need to interrupt you for a second, um, Brother Wanlimu. Um, 
we're we're kind of like out of time. Time. My other guests are in the studio, so I wanted to um, ask if you could give people the information about how to register for the conference, and um, and who the audience is that you're looking for, and and then maybe just you know just give us some of the uh, the names of the presenters because they're pretty impressive. Okay, uh, if you want to register for the for the congress for the conference next week, go to our website which is www.cbpm.org backslash P-A-F-M-N-O-R-A-N. And I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say what H-E thing stands for. Uh, C-B-P-M, that's Collective Black People's Movement, dot org backslash P-A-F-M, uh, Pan-African Fellows Movement, N-O-R-A-M, North America. Uh, one word, so uh, cbpm, <coughs> cbpm.org backslash p-a-f-m-n-o-r-a-m. You go directly to that website, and front and center is going to be a, a link you click to go to the form to, uh, where you could register for the conference. Uh, that's that. And some of the guest speakers, uh, we do have an impressive list of guest speakers and supporters. Uh, the daughter of Malcolm X, Malik Shabazz, is going to be there. Dr. Leonard Jeffries is going to be there. Sister Nakia Tiafa is going to be there, an uh, outstanding young lawyer. Uh, a. Peter Bailey, I and, already and, mentioned. And also, and she has a new book out. Um, yes, she book. does. She has a new book out, which I have, uh, Nakia Tiafa. The book is entitled Black Power, Black Lawyer, because she's an outstanding lawyer. Um, yeah, I just bought the book. And, but also, the, and last but not least, Renuku Rashidi is going to be at the conference. So, so we're really looking forward to a, a, a gathering of African people in North America uh, to, discern, to, to determine the role that African people in North America are going to be playing in the United African States, what rights are we going to have, and we open to, it's going to be a virtual conference. Uh, please register, and again, uh, you could uh, please, please uh, register for the conference, and again, you could do that by www.cbpm.org backslash PAFM. Uh, nor uh, North uh, N O R A M and my the, the number for the Pan the dedicated number for the Pan African Federalist Movement lasts five one eight six four nine seven seven nine eight. That's the dedicated number for the Pan African Federalist Movement in North America. Sister Wanda, right? Thank you. And then also, and, and also, you have your email address United Africa twenty twenty at aol dot com. Yes. Yes, you could get in touch with me directly by email, by, by that uh, that email, unitedafrica2020 at aol.com. Asante Sana, Sister Wanda, we're <laughs> talking to you again. Um, let us know when you're going to be back in, in Palm Coast so you can visit us again. My daughter uh, still remembers their visit, and, uh, and uh, you know, we really enjoyed that. But thank you for this opportunity to talk about the Pan-African Federalist Movement in our convention. Oh, you're quite welcome. It was good speaking to you, too. And, yeah, give my greetings and my regards to, to your lovely wife and, and daughter. And, yeah, <clears throat> as soon as we can travel safely, I'll be visiting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Look forward to that. And I'll see you at the conference. Okay. Looking forward to it next week. Right. <laughs> next week. That's right. <laughs> 15th, yes. You take good care. Mm-hmm. Okay, you too. Thank you. Again, Asante Sana. You're welcome. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Good morning, Rick and Maya. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Wanda? 
Oh, I'm good. I'm good. So excited to be able to talk to both of you about critical resistance and the really wonderful um, art exhibit and auction presently up um, that I believe you um, are one of the curators, guest curators, Critical Resistance Imagine Freedom Artworks for Abolition. It's a benefit auction um, kicked off last week. And how much longer do people have to bid? Uh, Well, we're coming up now on about four days left. Uh, to mm-hmm. bid on, we have over 75 plus international multidisciplinary artists that are participating in the auction, um, and it's a, a really beautiful, diverse group um, of amazing artworks that we're extremely excited to present. So it's and it's been going well. So um, oh, yeah, it's it's great. We we're really. Um, Looking forward to continuing to see the bids come in and uh, looking forward to also the the closing event programming that um, we're putting together. It'll be a really exciting show. Mm-hmm. Right. We give us more details on that. Um, you could do it now or, or you can do it after I read your bio. <laughs> Well, I can give it to you now. Um, okay. You know, the the benefit auction, it's, it started September 29th, and so it concludes on October 14th, basically. We're saying the 13th, um, but it concludes uh, by 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on October 14th. And uh, all the information can be found. We'd love for everyone to go to the website that was created for it, uh, imaginefreedom.art. And this gives you all of the information on uh, being able to uh, donate directly to Critical Resistance, uh, but it also gives you all of the information about the auction as well, specifically, including all of the artists that are participating. And we have an amazing host committee as well that's been assembled um, that's also made some amazing contributions to this auction to help bring it to life. So it's really, uh, we're really excited. It's an amazing event um, and timely uh, point in history where, um, you know, the support of an organization like Critical Resistance um, is really needed for them to continue the great work that they're doing. Mhm. Yeah. And and I was reading that um the live auction is beginning on Tuesday, October 13th at 6:30 Pacific time as part of the virtual closing events that you mentioned. Um Right. And um and I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, a little bit more about um what that entails and with regards to the the closing um uh programming because there's been some really good programming if you want to, like, maybe list some things that people have missed and what's coming up <laughs> so they don't miss any more. Um, yeah, so the closing, so the the live auction programming event, uh, that includes seven specific artists that were chosen um, to, these are the artists that you're able to bid live in real time um, we'll have an amazing auctioneer, Gabriel Butu, um, who's auctioneer extraordinaire. Um, he's amazing. And so um, during the programming, though, there'll be uh, co-MCs, 
Uh, there'll be uh, movement elders and culture keepers like Stephen Canals and India Moore from Pose, Dr. Fred Moten, um, and Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and uh, actually also KQED Arts and the Black Joy Parade. They'll also be making some appearances during um, during this closing event as well. So it, it's a whole show that's set up to to support the ending of the auction with these seven specific artists that'll be featured. Um, and you can bid in real time. And, you know, these are the artists uh, that have been chosen are some of the um, most amazing international artists, you know, have been making art for a long time. Um, and there are also a lot of Bay Area artists included in, in the silent auction as well. So that's, we have Lava Thomas. Uh, that's participating who's, uh, you know, given an amazing piece. There's Kentura Davis, uh, who's having an amazing moment right now. Sean Theodore, who's a photographer out of Philadelphia, uh, award-winning photographer. Um, we also have uh, Theaster Gate with some amazing sculptures um, that, you know, were made uh 18 years ago. So they're now, this is the first time that they're coming up for auction. Uh, we also have um, Paul and Peggy Sapulia, another amazing photographer who's having uh, an amazing moment. Um, and, you know, it's just, we're so excited and the bids are really coming in, but we really want to see, you know, more of a push this week in these last few days uh, mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, to bring it home and and to mm-hmm. continue to, as far as critical resistance, being able to continue the work that they're doing in this moment is really what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Critical resistance at 20 years old. So, Nick, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Nick Dorenzi. Nick Dorenzi, yeah. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, so you're a resident of San Francisco and a member of Critical Resistance Oakland. Um, you work in the media team on the media team for the No New San Francisco Jail Coalition, which recently won a historic battle for San Francisco to permanently close uh, county the county jail to lo- county jail two located at 850 Bryant Street. So. Um, um, Maya Futrell, uh, you know, you know, you're an independent curator, art consultant, advisor, and artist liaison. Uh, currently living and working in Los Angeles, California. Um, how, Nick, tell us a little bit about critical resistance, and then uh, as a follow-up, Maya, I was wondering, how did you come to be participating as an independent guest curator for this this wonderful, amazing um, fundraising um, art event? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, having us. Yeah, Critical Resistance. No problem. Resistance is a grassroots organization, and we do Mm -hmm. uh, build build movements to end the reliance of the interlocking systems of imprisonment, surveillance, and policing, which we define as the prison industrial complex. And we are looking to end the reliance on them as a response to political, social, and economic problems. Our approach 
combines organizing and advocacy to dismantle the current structures of imprisonment and policing, changing how communities and decision makers understand punishment and safety, and building new institutions and practices <clears throat> to transform and prevent interpersonal, communal, and social harm. So how we've been doing that in San Francisco is by ensuring that they will build a new jail and then also pushing decision makers to um, decriminalize uh, in San Francisco. So we did, thank you for highlighting our big win that we just had in September. Uh, there is officially no one being held at A50 Bryant in County Jail 4, which is a huge, huge accomplishment for us. It's been going on since 2013 when the city originally wanted to um, build a new jail. The sheriff at that time had applied for funds, which would have uh, put San Francisco on a huge bill through the city, so they would have owed, owed the state millions of dollars. Luckily, we stopped that, so in 2015, we shifted focus to um, ensure that nobody was housed at 850 Bryant because 850 Bryant, that building itself has been slated for demolition since for a few decades now because mm -hmm. it is seismically unsafe. So if there is a huge earthquake, that building is expected to fall because it's so decrepit. So we're glad that we've gotten people out of there that are being that were being forced to be there. So that's a huge win and a historical win for San Francisco, which we're really, really proud of. And now our coalition is uh, shifting our focus to more decriminalization than also um, to getting folks. The city right now is doing huge push to um, – especially the sheriff's office, to increase uh, electronic monitoring, which we call ankle shackles. And there's a huge um, issue with those. The the company that they're trying to partner with uh, has a lot of uh, loss against them. And so we're telling them, you know, don't invest in more, you know, it's just imprisonment by a different name. We're saying don't invest in this. Keep on investing in community resources such as housing, health care, education, jobs, because that is really what's going to keep our community safe. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about, I know I know, Critical Resistance has, has chapters um, um, throughout the country, and I was wondering if you could tell us some, some of the places where they are. Um, I was reading that Critical Resistance <clears throat> was founded in 1998 um, by well-known abolitionist organizers Rose Braz, Presente, um, Angela Y. Davis, and Ruth Wilson Gilmore, um, and and I saw Ruth Wilson Gilmore's name come up for the closing of the um, um, of the auction. That is she gonna be um, present um, virtually at these closing um, activities um, events, Maya. Uh, yes, actually, she, uh, I believe she will be a part of, because it's, it's um, you know, set up in a program style, uh, she should be available um, live, uh, I believe, in the beginning of the program. Um, so as I said, as I said before, uh, we'll have a couple of uh, co-host MCs that will be, you know, that will move the program along, um, mm -hmm. and there'll be different videos that will play with speakers who will be featured, you know, during the show. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in in addition to kind of spliced in with the uh, with the live auction bidding. As as I mentioned, uh, Gabriel Butu, our auctioneer, 
we'll be moving the program along as well as he talks about these these seven artists that you know that also includes um I wanted to mention Hank Willis Thomas um mm-hmm. and Wangari Masenge. They're also mm-hmm. a part of these seven artists that that have uh presented two amazing pieces that are that are doing really well um as far as bidding goes. Um and so I, I came to be a part of this curatorial team. Um, I was invited to work on the team by Ashara Ekundayo, who's the lead curator uh, on the auction. And so, uh, you know, she just presented me with information about the auction and what the objective was and what the main purpose and objective is for critical resistance and the work that they're trying to do um, and the fundraising efforts. And it just, you know, I couldn't turn it down. It was just, it was an amazing opportunity that I really wanted to be a part of. And, um, and we've been working on this team for the last uh, six months now to bring this auction to life. So yeah, it was really a Shara's, Ashara's, uh, you know, invitation to me to be a part of this. Yeah, had you had you known critical resistance prior to Ashara's invitation? Mm, not really. I didn't know the details about it, um, but you know, knowing the background of Oakland, California, the home of the Black Panthers, um, you know, I needed to brush up on some information, but. No, I didn't have a ton of information about all that critical resistance is involved in. And, you know, um, although, you know, Ashara was present at that first conference in 1998 as a graduate student. So, you know, her background with critical resistance is is deep. And um, so knowing that she's, you know, been involved in a part of this movement, for since its inception was also pretty inspiring to me. So I wanted to, you know, finally be a part of, um, and, and with art being, you know, my practice right now, it just made sense. And so, you know, as we assembled the host committee and chose the artists to uh, participate you know, it is, it's been a real contribution from the host committee members as well as these artists. They're donating their work, um, and they're able to retain up to 30% of the sale of their works. Um, so they are receiving something back in return, or they can donate 100% if they want. It's totally up to them. But um, it's still a, a big contribution, um, and a lot of the artists, uh, and host committee members have, you know, gone out above and beyond with, as you mentioned, the programming that we've had during the week with live talks and Instagram lives. And, you know, it's just, it's been really a rallying of this moment, a coming together to really bring everything full circle, especially with, you know, happening across, what's happening across the globe right now. So it just the timing is amazing, um, and yeah, it's just it's going really well. So this is um, a huge lift, and to be able to 
I think, bring um, the auction together, which is completely online, um, of course, out of necessity, but online nonetheless. And partnering with Artsy has been also an amazing experience. I mean, they, they're a great organization that really knows how to put together an online auction. So we couldn't be more excited. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was noticing um, some of the uh, the events like last uh, week, October 1st, <clears throat> there was a Cops Off Campus teaching against anti-blackness, the university and policing. Um, I think this was at, at UC Berkeley. And, um, I mean, online, of course, but <laughs> right. it was, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. UC. Um, and then um, the guest speakers, were from John Hopkins University, University of Chicago, UC Riverside, UC Santa Cruz. Um, and so anyway, it looked like it was pretty good. Did either of you all attend that? Um, I sat in for a little bit on Facebook Live. I didn't see the whole show, but um, it looked like they had, you know, an array of dynamic speakers. Um so uh, I did hear, though, that it was a pretty powerful event. But, you know, I regret that I wasn't able to watch the entire thing. I, I just kind of tapped in um, maybe for the last mm, 15 to 20 minutes or so. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it looked very impactful, very right. impactful, very inspired group of people. Um, but, yeah, I, wasn't, I didn't see the entire I didn't see the entire show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there was another one. Um, oh, um, did you want to say something, Nick? Oh, no, I was just going to say I was able to tune in, and it was an amazing program. Um, oh, Bill and Rodriguez, cool. uh, Riverside did a great job. Um, I know they've been talking about that issue for a while, and then even connecting back to my time, I, I was a, I'm a political science major from SF State, and that's actually how I got involved with COVID resistance. But during my time, we were fighting for ethnic studies, and there was a hunger strike, and we were doing a lot of organizing. And there was um, well-known undercover police officers that would come on campus and try to, you know, observe what we were doing. And then also on campus and still going on on campus there, um, there's a big uh, anti-Palestinian push. So they had a lot of their events being canceled, unfortunately. So Mm -hmm. we definitely understand and, like, see that the campus police are used by administration to, you know, police what is being taught and to continue to perpetuate white supremacy within higher education. Um, so I'm glad that they're really doing this call to end policing on campuses. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, where I teach in the Peralta Community College District, um, it has happened. Um, there are there are no more police on campuses. It was actually the Sheriff's mm. Department. So looking at alternatives right now. Um and then there was another webinar, um, Black and Indigenous Liberation Through Abolition, and that was also on October 1st. That was at 4 p.m., and uh, and that featured um, Lou um, Cornum um, of the Red Nation, Muhammad uh, Shirk. Uh, uh, I've seen that. He's, I've gotten emails from him. <laughs> from Critical Resistance, uh, Tanetta Muhammad, um, BYP 100, and uh, and Woods Irvin, Critical Resistance, um, and that was moderated by Sheila Nasad, Reclaim the Block. So did either of you all go to that one? 
I didn't, no. I unfortunately was not able to make it to that one. Okay, well, that one's available, folks. Um, I don't know where it lives, but um, you'll be able to see that one <laughs> if you missed it. So um, so anyway, uh, Nick, um, thank you, Maya, for, for um, what you shared uh, right before I started talking. Um, so, Nick, tell us uh, more about Critical Resistance, its founding. What was going on in 1998 when these these uh, activists, these these conscious women, got together and said, "We got to do something," like organized. So, so what um what was going on in 1998, and how many chapters have been um uh, have been established since then? I was there at the uh, that that uh, conference at UC Berkeley. I was actually on a panel about journalism with um, Keelan Yasha, revolutionary um, journalist, uh, activist, um, who is now an ancestor. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, so at that time, California was really, you know, getting into the big boom of building and building uh, prisons and um, state facilities. So people started thinking critically of, you know, what what how does this continue to push white supremacy? So really, it wasn't being challenged to, um, you know, people for these um, institutions to be built. And so the this is a big push to kind of figure out. Like the conference was to figure out what is the issues, like how is this a systemic issue, and then how do we fight against it? And so that's where the prison abolition came out of. And they start, started to organize against, um, you know, the state investing money into cages and more policing. So that was a really big, uh, was a really big idea at the moment. It was, you know, abolition wasn't being talked about. And now fast forward to 2020, and you've got people in the streets yelling about abolition and screaming out for abolition. So we've come mm-hmm. a long, long way, long way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Really amazing. Since then, right now, we have a chapter here in the Bay Area. We call it the Oakland chapter, but I see it more as the Bay Area chapter because, you know, how the Bay works. We're all together as one. Um, Then we've got our L.A. chapter down in L.A. They've been involved in the Justice L.A. um, Mm -hmm. organization going down there, working to stop the expansion of county jails down there. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a chapter... Portland, Oregon, and they've been really busy right now. They've been working on a huge program to um, get everyone in all of the jails a written letter so that they're, um, you know, so they get some correspondence and know that people care. People, like, um, create uh, relationships with folks inside. And also, you know, a huge thing that we see right now going on with COVID is that more and more, uh, you know, policies within jails and prisons are cutting back on visitation time, cutting back on uh, call call time, putting people in uh, isolation as like a way to keep them safe, which you can't be safe in a jail or prison. That's uh, not possible because they're dangerous places and not good to be. You can't get, can't get healthy in a cage. Um, so they've been doing that big push to try and, you know, build more connections with folks inside, with folks outside organizing. And they also had a huge push during uh, the wildfires they were having up there to make sure that folks weren't left behind and that um, they were thought of during the evacuations. Um, here, and then we also have a chapter in New York. In New York, they have been doing uh, prisoner writing as well, writing to folks inside, and they had a, huge, a big, robust uh, 
mail night that they were doing there. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we also do um, correspondence inside. Right now, the No New SF Jail Coalition, we uh, did a big campaign. We're asking folks inside of county jails in San Francisco what they would what their demands are looking like and what they would like us to work for them. And then also we gave everybody information about the new, um, the new ruling on that folks that are inside get the stimulus check. So we wanted to make sure that everybody inside got information on that in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So what happened with that? Did um, people who were inside get the stimulus um, uh, check? Did they get the money? So right now, um, you'll see probably throughout most of the nation, there's a big um, information push campaign, so folks inside know about it. Um, you know, we wouldn't expect the state to want to tell them about it, so we need to take it into our own hands and tell them about it. So mm-hmm. right now, luckily, there was it was kind of a quick turnaround. They wanted to have everything in by the 15th of October, but luckily they pushed it back to, I believe, October 30th is when you have to file, and mm-hmm. there is... We, we mailed in forms. We've heard the best way to do it is through the 1040 form. Um, we've mailed it in. You can call out to some organizations, and they will help you with um, getting that information done as well over the Internet. But from what we've heard is that the best way is to actually fill out the physical form and mail it in to the, the IRS. Um, so that is, that's where we're at right now. With that, oh, so and hopefully how- everybody – sorry? No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thoughts. And I, have, I can hold my oh, question. Everybody will be able to get things in time, and with that little bit, a couple extra weeks, you get the uh, forms in. People will be able to get those uh, stimulus. So, how, like for instance, for families that are advocating for um, for for incarcerated loved ones, how how do they get like how do they get the forms and things like that? Is there um, information like is there an email or is there a person that they can talk to at Critical Resistance? to figure out how to do all this? Yeah, so right now with our, um, right here in San Francisco specifically, um, we have a coalition partner, Community Resource Initiative. They're a member of our coalition and they have a hotline that they have set up to answer questions and help navigate the process. Um, Mm -hmm. And their phone number is 415-226-7210. And the hours for that hotline are between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. They'll be doing it seven days a week. If you don't get a pickup on the first time, feel free to call back. You know, they're getting a lot of calls from what we hear, and um, that's the best way um, if you're in the city. And if you're not, you know, give them a call, and I'm sure they can um, give you answer some of your questions or let you know where to call specific where you're at. But, um, yeah, that number is a great resource, and Community Resource Initiative is, is great, folks. They're doing great work, and they were able to set up this hotline real quick, and um, it sounds like it's been real real helpful and successful so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, for the letter writing, is the Bay Area chapter doing anything of that, like that? And if people, what do they want their loved one to get a letter? Um, how, do, how, do we, how do you do that? So for, um, for, for critical resistance, just shoot us an email. Right now, because of COVID, you know, we've had to adjust how – we do some of our um, mailing. We're mainly doing it all internally right now. Mm-hmm. But if you give us a, give us an email, um, you can either email nosfjail at curbprisonspending.org, or you can just email critical resistance, and we can get in touch with you. Um, we usually go through 
a little introduction to kind of like get an understanding of abolition and what we're working for. And then, um, and then we'll jump into like getting, uh, getting volunteers all like. So what's the critical resistance email? Uh, it's Oakland at criticalresistance.org. Okay. Is there a phone number? Um, not right now. We don't have a lot of folks in the office right now because of uh, COVID. So email is the best way to get in contact with us at the moment because it's more remotely done. Okay, yeah. And congratulations on the new big space. How's it going? It's been what? Has it been two years now? Uh, yeah, we're still working on the space. Um, you know, because of COVID, some timelines gone back. But we're right now. I know we we hosted the the Black Organizing Projects um, party for after they got the big win in Oakland of getting police out of the out of the um, out of the school system. So that's a huge, huge win, um, which has been great. We also are. We have a uh, mutual aid fridge at the at the at the location, so folks can um, go there and get free food. And mm. yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We're still located in downtown Oakland for the time being, as we continue to build out the space. But it is going very well, and we're very happy that we were able to acquire space. And it's going to be a beautiful home for a lot of movement organizations in the future. Mm-hmm. So where where is the mutual aid fridge? Is that at the new location or is that the old okay location? It is at the new location. What's the what's the address? Let me let me double check on that real quick. Okay, and then also I wanted to know what the hours are and yeah, and the contact something, <laughs> email, phone number, something. <laughs> Yeah, my next guests are in the studio. So, um, so while we um, wait for Nick to uh, to find that information, Maya, um, wow, yes. I was just looking at your bio. It is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, you've been. Oh, thank you. You definitely have been doing. You've been doing art for a minute, and like some really serious art, and you know, particularly um, facilitating, um, you know, sort of the exposure of other artists, you know, to work. But it sounds like. Um, you said you were inspired um, by your your um, your mother, My your parents. late mother, who mm-hmm. was a, yeah, and uh, who was a social worker and a public health educator, cultural advocate, and practicing astrologer, uh, mm-hmm. and her and your multidisciplinary abstract artist father. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. Who yeah. also has um, um, he has some work in the auction that I presented. Oh. Um, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, there, he has um, two uh, art, furniture, sculptures that uh, mm. people can bid on. So yeah. So yeah, art is. I've been working in the creative sector, you know, for for a long time now, and um, it basically it starts at home, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, art has started at home for me, and um, I just I continue to work in creative industries, and so uh, this all makes sense, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's five days left still. There's five days and three hours and fifty three minutes <laughs> and thirty eight seconds, you know, for people to still um, 
you know, to go to imaginefreedom.art and, you know, check out all of the details on this auction, to go to artsy.net and build, uh, go, you know, go ahead and bid on all of the pieces, um, take a look at, there's something really for everyone. And speaking of, you know, artists um, on the inside, we do have uh, Bob Williams, who has some beautiful pieces in which people are, are bidding on. Um, he's the only artist that we have that is on the inside that's part of this auction. Um, mm-hmm. And his work is, is doing well. There's There's been some great interest in his work. So we're excited to have, you know, been able to include um, an artist on the inside uh, to be a part of the auction also. Oh. And so, okay. yeah. Mhm. Yeah, so that's that's been something that um that was important to be able to to include um you know as a part of the diverse array of artists that that are participating. Uh so we're excited that we're able to do that. Um and again, you know, we have a work from the great uh Emery Douglas you know, who's a founding member of the Black Panther Party, who is, you know, his artwork is, it was the face of of the Black Panther Party. So Emery has a piece. Um, we have Mika Marple, who's also a Bay Area artist. Uh, Christine Wang, Melanie Cervantes, Leslie Dime Lopez. Um, all of these amazing artists and artist organizers uh, that are who are collaborating with CR um, and have advanced abolition through their craft, uh, supporting CR projects, and so you know this is one more project that they're lending their artistic talent to, and so mm-hmm. we just yeah we really want to you know drive people to the site and to artsy and to really take in these beautiful, beautiful artworks. Right. Yes, yes. Um, Nick, did you find the information? Yeah, so the location is at 494 44th Street, so that is Temescal and 44th in Oakland. And I'm still looking on a Telegraph, sorry, Telegraph and 44th in Oakland. And yes, there we don't have time to sorry nailed down, but definitely go by the building, check it out. We've got art in the windows, and we also have beautiful murals that have been done on it, so it's looking real beautiful. But definitely go by and check it out. Forty fourth and Telegraph. So, so the time for the um, uh, the um, the food um, giveaways. What time is that? I'm not entirely sure on the timing. I wasn't able to get a nailed down on the timing of that. I would guess probably during the week, probably during the weekdays, maybe all week, all week round. But unfortunately, I don't, we don't have um, those nailed down necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the, for the mutual aid fridge. So maybe you could um, get back to me. Maybe you could find out because. Yeah, I tried. Yeah. I mean, because I don't know what I don't know where people might be coming from, but. I know people won't have time mm-hmm, to just mm-hmm. go back and forth wondering, okay, is this the time? Is this the day? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. trans- transportation might be an issue, um, you know, because people, um, a lot of people are, um, you know, sort of, um, 
you know, having having um, a lot of uh, challenges, you know, sort of maintaining, you know, their their housing, um, and and their food security and their safety, you know, and then they might have children that are in school but not really in school; they're online. So it's a whole lot to juggle, you know, while you're trying to maintain your health. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, let me know um, when you find out, and and I'll make sure that I. I, I posted and I let people know. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation um, with both of you. Thank you so much. My other guests are in the studio. And I wondered, Maya, do you want to give your contact information so people can stay in touch and stay abreast of what you're up to? Uh, yeah, well, I my Instagram, sure. And, you know, thank you for having us. This is uh, a great opportunity. I'm so happy to be able to speak to you today. Um, you can check my Instagram. I'm at Influencer Inc. on Instagram. Um, and also for Maya Arts Management, um, that's the label of my of my art practice. Um, I just set up an Instagram, so that's Maya Arts Management. You can look me up on Instagram there. I'm just getting ramped up with starting posting and you know, I'll be posting there on on um, events and upcoming projects and collaborations and artists that I'll be working with. Um, and in the meantime, you know, you're welcome to reach out to me on on email, and that's mayafutrell16 at gmail dot com for any further information. Uh, but I'm always available via Instagram on Influencer Inc. And um, I do check my DMs. And um, and that that Instagram is really where I post a lot of uh, the gallery visits, artists, um, artists in studio visits. Um, it's really a focus on art. So there, you know, and other people and other events and really places that I go and things that I do, and that's what that's all about. So I'm I'm happy to have. Now, come on over to my Instagram and see what's going on. <laughs> um, and you know, and and but right now, in addition to that, um, the focus is is on is on CR, it's on critical resistance, and and this auction. So I'm really um, working to promote that. Um, you know, in tandem with with CR. Um, and we're really just looking, you know, to finish strong with a, a we have one last week here, um, you know, to bring in uh, some more attention to uh, not only critical resistance, but also to the artists that are participating that, have, again, have given, you know, have donated their time and energy and, um, you know, uh Everything you know, and in in some cases, you know, a lot of uh, our host committee uh, people have also donated, um, you know, in addition to their time, they've donate they've donated funds, and so that's going directly to critical resistance, so that again they can continue this work, and um, so yeah, imaginefreedom.art, you know, go check it out, right. um, and. And that's also, you know, where you can find out more about the upcoming programming that we have that's still happening in, in real time. So, um, 
you know, it's an exciting time. All righty. Yeah, imaginefreedom.art. And um, and then I also noticed that um, you can also um, get there by uh, going to critical resistance um, as well. Um, yes. Because that's, cause that's the, how I found it, criticalresistance.org mm-hmm. forward slash Imagine Freedom 2020. And then um, yes. on that page, you can RSVP for the closing event. Um, and you can also um, place a bid, you know, go to that page. And you can also look at the exhibition catalog, which is viewable online. And um, you can also, um, let's see, yeah, and there, the catalog has features poetry by Fred Moulton, Letters from yes. Critical Resistance and the Curator, Essays from Critical Resistance, Artwork, Bios, and more. So that's that's a really good, you should go check it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, the online catalog. It's really, really is, good. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really proud of the, the online catalog, um, which will be uh, in print as well. So not only will right, it live online, but, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's exciting. It's a, a beautiful catalog that... Um, mm-hmm. We put together, so excited about right. that. Thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you both for um, for joining us. We've gone over quite a bit, but it was it was a good conversation, and uh, let's definitely stay in touch. Particularly, uh, Nick. Um, look forward to other conversations, and congratulations on shutting down that that jail in San Francisco before it <laughs> fell on somebody. Um, so it fell on a lot of bodies. <laughs> Yeah, All right, you take good care, yeah. both that's amazing. of you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're yeah, welcome. Thank you Peace so much, Ron. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's see. So Kim and Devorah, let's see. <laughs> good morning, both of you. Thank you so much for not leaving. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Great. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Devora, um, you're 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 always uh, such a wonderful guest on the show, and it's it's always a real pleasure uh, speaking to you. And Kim, Dr. Kim McMillan, gosh, um, you're always you know doing so many interesting things, and you know now you know with your um, your um, uh, Afrofuturism, black uh, speculative um, work, you know, sort of looking at, okay, imagine, like we look at imagine freedom, right, you know, the uh, something that, you know, uh, critical resistance is looking at through art. And so you imagine, like, what, imagine a world where black people, you know, um, are celebrated instead of, um, you know, sort of targeted for all this malfeasance and all of this harm, and uh yeah and I love it. so people yeah yeah totally totally so um oh. so Kim um maybe you could tell us why we're here this morning what are we going to be talking about <laughs> first of and all then, and then I'm hoping, yes, uh-huh. I'm hoping we get to read um Devor Majors or Devor would consider reading some of her poetry Devor is a mm. part of the um the three part series uh, Afrofuturism in the Black Speculative Arts, and it, and it begins this Sunday uh, with a panel discussion headed by Daryl Stover, and which includes Ishmael Reed, um, who is well known to this channel, 
Cherie Renee Thomas, who was the editor of Dark, the Dark Matter Anthology, which basically just runs a gamut on um, what Afrofuturism is, or the Black Speculative Arts, and Ronaldo Anderson, who was who was the editor of Afrofuturism 2.0, um, the rise of astral blackness. I love that. And he's just brilliant, just a brilliant man. And, um, of course, Kenitra Brooks, who writes a column for The Roots on um, a Lovecraft country and uh, has the lemonade reader, Beyonce, Black Feminism and Spirituality, a must-read. So it's going to be a really, really wonderful um, program, and it starts 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and it's going to be broadcast on Zoom, um, Facebook Live, YouTube, and uh, uh, hopefully Instagram. So mm. we really, and everything is under the same name, Afrofuturism and the Black Speculative Arts. So you can find it on any, in any of those places. And I just feel lucky to be a part of it. And this is the first part of the series. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that's going to be really, really, really fun. Wow. And uh, and because um, it's, uh, you know, being broadcast through um, Facebook Live and um, in Zoom, that means that, um, you know, it's going to be a document that will be around. So people can revisit it and uh, yeah. in, in anticipation of the next one. So do you already have all three dates uh, set up for, for the series? Oh, yes. The, 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 oh, my God. Um, November 8th is like, to me, is going to be a love fest. Of course, it's being uh, moderated by Daryl Stover again, who teaches a class at North Carolina State University on jazz and Afrofuturism. But Samuel Delaney, who's considered like the godfather mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Afrofuturism, he's a winner of four Nebula Awards and two Hugo Awards for his excellence in science fiction. And he was inducted in the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame in 2002. This, this man is just brilliant as far as I'm concerned. And we're going to have the wonderful Eugene Redmond, who mm. writes about an early Afrofuturist. Um, uh, and he, he has, uh, excuse me, Henry Dumas. And mm. um, he has a, a, a reprint of his, uh, of Dumas's poetry, and it's called um, "Knees of a Natural Man: The Selected Poetry of Henry Dumas." And he's a very important voice. And then Hope Wabuki, she is a Ugandan uh, American, Ugandan um, African American, excuse me, a Ugandan American. And mm-hmm. um, he's also assistant professor of English at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. And she writes a critical essay. She wrote an incredible essay for the Los Angeles Review of Books on Afrofuturism. And she's also a cultural uh, critic for NPR. And then we have, of course, the wonderful Vacha. And so she writes on the Afrofuturistic themes all the time. And Dr. Ayana Jameson. And she's the founder of the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network, which is incredible. Um, You can find it online. And then we have Dr. Grace Gibson. She's a black future feminist pop culture scholar. 
and has written quite a bit on Afrofuturism, and she also speaks with regard to race and gender within comic books. So there's going to be a lot. Oh, and, and also Dr. Gwen Paris, who, who is just a wonderful, wonderful um, writer. He's going to be there November 8th, and he just um, has a new well, a reprint of his um, Dragon's Air that will be coming out in 2021 um, through Outland Entertainment. So this is just a wonderful group on November 8th. And, of course, December 13th, Devorah will be reading Ayodele Nzinga, Leonard Moore, uh, Michael War, Avacha, and, and so many others. And they will be strictly uh, poems on Afrofuturism, and it will be curated. And so people are only going to be reading one or two poems. We wanted to show a real, a, just a, a whole movement a, a, in different areas and how people express and write about um, Afrofuturism through poetry. And you recommended um, a, a, a young um, lady, Sajaba. Is, am I pronouncing yeah. it correctly? Sajabu. Sajabu. Oh, yeah, grandmother Sajab, Sajabu. Mm-hmm. Sajabu. And I spoke huh. to her and was so impressed with her art and, and how she depicts African-American women through Afrofuturism. I'm very excited about her. So, and, and okay. everything yeah, that... She's, uh, yeah, she's a... Uh, yeah, she's... um, I don't know. She's been doing this work for a long time. She and her daughter, uh, uh, Professor Sanana, um they uh, they have a, a group called Straight Out Scribes, and they've yeah. been performing for a while. Yeah, Devorah, you know them, right? The Jabu and Sanana. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, when you and Oprah were doing, um, you know, uh, Daughters of Yam, um, I think your 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 ensembles crossed each other, right? You all were doing work yeah. together yeah, at the same time. Yeah, and uh, uh, what Sister Spit to. I think out of uh, Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And even, um, even you know, um, our group, Black Poets with Attitudes, with Avacha and Abimbala Adama and uh, Beverly Jarrett. You know, we were sort of like in that mix for a little bit um, as well. But go ahead, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I just, and I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be with two of my favorite people, you and Devorah, and I. I sat down with Devorah a couple of a couple of a month or two ago, and listened mm-hmm. to her poetry, and without realizing just how Afrofuturistic it was, and I'm just curious, Devorah, were you planning? Was that always a part of the of your book, um, Calithia's Daughter? Because it's. Uh, it, 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 yeah, not in the conscious way you're saying. I think that there's just a part of me. I do write sci-fi and speculative fiction. So that's just a part of my kind of energy or gestalt or whatever. But I think in terms of the poetry, I'm very focused on where we sit in the universe, where uh, where where humans sit, specifically where humans of African descent sit in the universe, not just in a, in the city let's say, you know, that, that it's a bigger thing. Where did we come from? How did we get here? 
you know, what are our powers. And within that, I think there's a sense of coming out. And I also have this this fact that I would like us to be here in the future. <laughs> yes. And so I think to do that, one has to see the future in that way, you know. Uh, uh, that's one of the things that science fiction does. Uh, it, it makes you visualize what the future could be. And traditionally, there hasn't been a whole lot of people of color in the futures that have been envisioned. So I think that that stuff, that kind of thinking that I'm doing just kind of mixed in with some of my poetry. Hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking when you were when you were saying, uh, Devorah, about... Um, sort of where the humans of African descent specifically sit in the universe. And you said you'd like us to be here in the future. And I was wondering, for both of you, um, this whole idea of even even imagining a future, um, you know, from the present. Um, I don't know. I don't know if people have even had time to think about the past, trying to, like, maintain a presence, uh, literally maintain a presence. Um, when when did we, like, when did the, the idea of a future or even projecting toward a future um, or, you know, or even, even designing a future, like, in your imagination, sort of, sort of when did that, like, like, are there any, like, sort of, um, uh, land like landmarks, but benchmarks around around that. Like, oh yeah, that was a that was a moment where there was a lot of imagining going on, you know, about the future, you know, of black people. Like, oh yeah, there's another moment, and I think this is one of those moments too. And maybe that's why the whole idea of um, Afrofuturism and and all of that, when it's not a new thing, but that language is a new way of framing it. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a short story in, what, the 1920s? Mm-hmm. And uh, this comet hits New York City, and, and uh, it looks like everybody's been destroyed but this black man, and he saves a white woman. Hmm. And she's like, oh, my God, you saved me, you saved me. How could I ever been a racist? You know, oh, this is wonderful. And so they're they're going and seeking to see if anybody else survived, and they find out that the comet did not survive, did not kill the world or even the United States. It just decimated New York and the surroundings. And she's like, "Oh, I can be racist again." Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, oh wow! Is, really? Yeah, it's kind oh. of cold, but the point. The That's point really is cold, that, but it's it's so true, right? Like yeah, you know, it's a choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a choice. But the, but yeah. but when you think about that, it's 100 years ago or close to 100 years ago. Uh, W.E.B. Dois was looking at it and looking at where would we be in the future in terms of race and racism and like that, right? And mm-hmm. he was obviously somewhat, at least within this story, somewhat pessimistic about the situation. But I think that <laughs> that <laughs> that kind of ideal is has then permeated. Uh, a, a lot of things, and it really um, uh, does moments of hope. I know that I certainly was, for my time, blessed to, to you know, be a young uh, teenager, preteen, and then teenager when the Panthers arose, mm-hmm. because uh, it was very future. 
this is what we're going to be. This is how we're going to be. This is what we can accomplish. And I think it made you think, oh, things aren't going to always be that way. And I think a lot of times, even as people of African descent, we have to remember um, we were in Africa, which was a mixed blessing. You know, I think that we always want to make everything perfect. And if everything was perfect, we never would have gotten stolen because we would have been so united on the continent, you know. So there were issues. But then we, those of, we were stolen and we came here and really enormous parts, more than we are maybe aware of or acknowledge of who we were, we were able to maintain culturally and like that. And then our ancestors who were stolen saw a future of freedom and fought for it. And that's why we're free now. Mm-hmm. Because they perceived a future. They didn't say, we've always, well, some did. Some did. But a whole lot was not like, oh, we've always been slaves. We're always going to be slaves. Mm-hmm. You know? Here's and so I point. think that that that, uh, uh, that those ideals have in some ways always been around. It's just now we're in a time where there is space travel and we humans have been to the moon and they are sending things out to Mars and so on and so forth. So that now we're looking at the future in a broader aspect than we did before. But I think it's something that we've always kind of done. But I think Afrofuturism asserts it, you know, claims it mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I agree yeah. with that. And I also wanted to um, add that as a young person growing up, um, as an adolescent doing Martin Luther King. Um, the March on Washington, and being very aware, because um, I live in a segregated community, that, um, doing a part of the civil rights uh, movement, well, I, I was, you know, you wonder, what is going to happen? I remember sitting in a room and about 10 or 11 years old when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and I was living in Hawaii, and being a really probably a, a stupid kid, I I felt I just was crying, and I wanted so badly to not be in Hawaii. I wanted to be at a place where I could do something. And I was ten or eleven years old. I just wanted to be with people who might feel as heartbroken as I did, and I'm sure they were heartbroken everywhere, but I just felt a little cut off, you know, being on the island. And and I wondered what was going to happen to us as a people. And for my lifetime, that was one of the moments when I wondered about us as a race. You know, how would we get through? There had been so much that had been put on the shoulders of Martin Luther King to help us heal that somehow remove racism from America. And that's too much for anyone, and it wasn't going to happen. But as a, as a little kid, I had so much hope at, at that point. Because you, you don't see it now necessarily with black people, but I remember watching the television and watching people scream in anger at, at African-American kids being busted into their schools. And oh, I yeah. was shocked. Why would people hate us? Why would they do crazy things? Or 
I remember reading and t- speaking to Belva Davis, the um, the incredible newscaster, the first African American female newscaster in the West Coast, and she spoke about being at one of those events, and and in the South, and seeing the hatred, and she said, I just wanted to walk up to people and ask why, and and hopefully we could get dialogue. And she said she walked up, and the woman just said she's about to speak. The woman spit right in her face. And mm. I, I think America has so far to go. And we, I think Black Lives Matter. To me, that is my Afrofuturism in the present time, because there's mm. so much where they have a vision of a new world. One where the black bodies do matter, and so I I feel like in what in some ways we're very on track, and then for, for a new world, and I'm hoping that that continues no matter what happens with regard to our election. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think it will. You know. Yeah. I think, it I, I think so too. You know, um, the same kind of break that we saw with all races in the '60s, we're seeing again with all races, where people stepping up and saying, no matter how frightened they are, that this should not be. This is not the world we want to live in. You know. Yeah. And yeah. actual future. And this black speculative arts, the speculative arts, what they do through the artwork, through through the writing, I believe they're way showers to not only a changed universe here, a world here, but in all the universes, they're showing us that the myriad of, myriad of ways that we can overcome that we are giants. We are wonderful, and we have a brilliance that hasn't even been discovered yet. I will be honest. I love the black speculative art. I see images that I've always wanted to see with regard to blackness. And it's like I I just want more people keep on writing, keep on talking about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that, you know, people that are – you know, that are sort of, you know, this distancing is probably um, creating some different kind of work. Um, have, have you noticed that, um, Devorah or, or Kim? Um, you know, this, you know, depending on your level of aloneness, like if you are sheltering in place and you have family there, then that's one thing. But if you're sheltering in place, in a place where you're the only person unless you leave the the house and because of the um in California, you know, we have in northern California we have this this fluctuating level of of uh clean air. You know, sometimes it's dangerous to go out, sometimes it's okay unless you're like young or older or have pre existing conditions around you know, um around lungs or around respiratory or heart whether or not you should go out. 
So, um, so and then you're stuck in the house because you can't go out because the air is dirty. So, um, have you noticed a sort of any any level of um, uh, or different kinds of writing or or being creative in different kind of ways because of this um, this imposition of of solitude? Hmm. Well, I don't know because it would be somewhat personal because the writing that's being done now isn't isn't by and large out there yet, you know, um, uh, because we still have the same issues. I mean, certainly online has uh, helped. There's a, there's a wonderful women's magazine, Zora, out of Medium, that I think is really great. That does a lot of black writing, not particularly speculative fiction, though. But I think that that um, you try the the ideas of how one writes, and then you get how do you get the work actually out there is another thing. I would think it would make a difference. Uh, I know that I spent um, the first two two months alone. I saw almost nobody else. I saw my daughter would come by, you know. And it was a very, it was a very dramatic change for me uh, because of that. And I wasn't going out. I started out actually um, sick, not with COVID, but sick. For the first couple of weeks when we had to be inside and then, you know, it was like, and then I was like a high-risk person. I'm like, oh, no, I can't go out. And, uh, it certainly did make me think differently, and I think it did. It, it brings different issues to mind um, in terms of that, and in terms of looking at where are we going to be and how are we going to be in, you know, uh, um, in the future. But for me, because I'm now, uh, hopefully only for the next two or three months maximum, uh, living in Antioch, uh, which has a very strong conservative and. Uh, you know, people were talking about when the the rebellions uh, were going on over George Floyd and such in 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 terms of fire and destruction, not counting the counterpole agent provocateurs that were really doing some of the violence, and, and it wasn't just black people destroying things, but um, uh, they were like, oh, it's lock and load time, you know, and they would that's what they were ready for this kind of violent civil war kind of thing, which is really kind of scary when, you, you know, these people live like down the block from you, you know. And so I think that that kind of awareness certainly impacts what one writes about because, you know, you get realized that there's there's a lot of really terrified white people, <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know what they're scared of, just like I didn't know what they're angry about. I still don't know what they're angry about. Um, you know, I know what they're scared of. We, know, we know they're, what they're, they're angry about. They're angry that they, they're, you know, their position um, was a false position anyway. Uh, yeah, but it was a false position. The emperor, yeah, the emperor has no clothes and everybody sees his nudity, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, but yeah, but the emperor does have no clothes. I mean, you know, do you get mad because it's raining? It's raining, it, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's water coming from the sky. It happens. You know, the emperor has no clothes. I, I, I understand their fear a little bit more because they're afraid of the white race disappearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's true fear. It, 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 it's, in fact, uh, it will happen. <laughs> uh, because uh, three-quarters of the globe is not them. Over three-quarters of the globe is not them. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's just that's just mathematically, yes, you're right. But it would seem to me if you want to preserve your culture at all, you would keep it to be a dynamic, positive, wonderful thing so people don't want to outmarry because they so love your culture, their own culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead of making it this hate-ridden kind of thing, you know, this ugliness. But so I think there is, so there's this small but virulent kind of virus of these haters that are that are coming and saying we want to kill uh, black and brown people right away, <laughs> you know. And then anybody else who is not us, because that way we can survive. And then when you have people of color visioning a future, if you're doing it honestly in these times, then you need to be visioning how do we get through this right here. You know, you, you know, can just I- jump us to the future, but how did we get through this? What did we do with this with these people? Mm-hmm. What divorce says is very important, the idea of how do we get through this. I know when we all work together on Wake Up America, what I saw was so many allies, white people, every single race that wanted better. And and so many understand that the world is changing. And I feel like that's one of the most beautiful things that I am seeing. And what I also see, the difference with this isolation is uh, online. Um, I think there must be at least five to ten things a day that I see that I could be involved in or being asked to be involved with with something that's very important. And you just have to be able to, I don't know, keep up. I know that Devorah has a virtual, is involved in a virtual book fest, um, with the San Mateo County Port Laureate on Tuesday, October 13th at 3 p.m. And Jason Bayani and James Cagney, and I'm also one of the um, hosts. And so it's like every week, I believe, we have something more to do. And I believe in a, in a, in a very different way, we are starting to get people who might not have been interested in poetry but they're finding their way to these online events on literature, education, because people want to have some type of contact. And I, I know even with my mom, she is involved in a group called White Fragility, and they're all reading that book. And uh. most of the, when it started out, the, the group was pretty large, but now it's turned out to be about five people. My mother is the only person that is African-American. And the, the more you get to the core of that message, I think is painful for people. And if you can keep up till the end, I think you will blow a lot of pictures on um, white supremacy. And yeah. I think I that's know. one of the... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to interrupt you there for a sec. Um you know, just just the, that whole language. You know, just the whole way of framing. Um, you know, this this criminal behavior. <laughs> um, so we call ourselves supremacists, right? And and we call and we we say, oh, we can't help it because we're fragile. Um, like, you know, just claiming mm-hmm. all this language of of um, victimhood. 
you know, to to sort of shift off the the responsibility for what you're carrying, you know, as 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 a people, not as individuals, but as a people, you know, um, you know, we think about Western culture and in in setting up these kind of systems where they're all based on um, pigment, you know, and and racial hierarchy. And so, yeah, I just don't. I just don't. I mean, I'm kind of like, and I and I try to like think of other ways to, to talk about it because mm-hmm. I don't using those those words because whenever we say it, you know, because words are how are you know words make 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 things real because now they exist because we're calling it out. Right. And 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 indigenous, you know, people talk about the vibrations, you know, of the language of the word. So if you don't want it to live, you don't call it out. <laughs> so what do you say yeah. instead of that? Like, how can you publish? How dare you publish a book and call it that? So well, so whenever anybody reads white fragility, like what? Like no, there's nothing fragile about the system at all. It has held up as long as it's held up. But like you said. You know, um, I don't know if it's Devor or Kim about how, you know, that particular entity is disappearing because the world, the world, <laughs> is, is is you know dominant, <clears throat> not white. So anyway, yeah. I just like I I think because as I said, the the group started out large and it's it's gotten quite small now, and you mm-hmm. know the tag the, the the after the title it says why is it so hard for white people to talk about racism. And I think that's what she is trying to say, that having to look at themselves, you know, having to look at things when you walk around the planet and you think you're wonderful. It's like I was watching um, MSNBC this morning and they were asking mostly white people, why are you voting for Trump after all of this is happening? And and they gave reasons that were so on another planet that I I just see that we're living in a world where people make decisions on how they're going to, to live and what they're going to allow themselves to believe in to keep a form of living that works, they feel, for them, you know? Yeah, even when it doesn't. I mean, I saw a thing on the uh, on, on the news this morning where uh, there was a, a, you know, one of the reporters went out to Staten Island and asked white Trump supporters, and it's like, it was kind of like, do you believe that uh, in Hollywood there's all these basically, you know, eating children and that kind of crap that's on the internet? Yeah. Oh, yes, I believe it, you know. Yeah, I believe it, you know. And and it was like in 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 the face of no information. So I do think that there that 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 that, that uh, what you're saying, uh, Wanda, is true in terms of you don't want to voice uh, certain things. One doesn't want to do that because to do that is to make it real. But I do think that also. Uh, um, that that uh, we have to look at how they're thinking. I too have real issues with um, with uh, the idea of fragility in that way. Like, why are you fragile? 
You know, what, what is, you know, you need to look at yourself. You are afraid to look at your own uh, racism. And therefore, that, that fragility gives you the ability to oppress me. I, you know, I, that, that bothers me. That does bother me. I think it's an important that, that, they, that, that one needs to look at their weaknesses, but one wonders what it would have been if the book was called White Weaknesses, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why, yeah, and, and then also sort of allowing, allowing you know, this, this outsider, this imposter to sort of take over like a disease. Like, like we're not talking about black Afrofuturism now. We're talking about white fragility just because, you know, like, that's the way the germ works, right? That's the way it moves. That's the way the worm moves. So, yeah, I wanted to call us back yeah. to what we were talking about, and who cares about what's happening with them? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I absolutely yeah. agree. I absolutely agree. But, yeah. You know, yeah. and honestly, I apologize for bringing it up to have that response. No, no, it was a good, you know. was a good illustration, how we have to sort of, like, okay. be mindful of allowing these ideas to take over our, our narrative, like we can have a conversation without inviting, you know, these others into our conversation because we're not in those conversations at all. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, um, yeah, yeah. I think when the Proud Boys or some of those groups get together, we're very much a part of the conversation in ways that we might not like. But but uh, to change the conversation, I also <laughs> wanted to to, to mention. Um, black fire this time I'm still working on the call for submissions and, and I'm the editor of uh, of this and, and it's an anthology which pays homage to the a- anthology Black Fire edited by Amiri Baraka and Larry Neal um, which was published in 1968 and, and I it, this was commissioned by Ayodele um, in Dr. Ayodele Nzinga who produced um, BAMFest 2020. Mm-hmm. And and I just think this anthology is so important. Um, and I really want to emphasize that if you're interested in sending me material, please send it, do so be, before October 22nd. And you mm-hmm. can just send it to kimmack at packbell.net or um, blackfirethistime at yahoo.com. And I and it's I believe it's on the site, and we're we're taking essays, fiction, creative fictions, short dramas, poetry, um, the whole gamut. And poetry can may not exceed a hundred lines, and prose should not exceed more than twenty five hundred words. So we're we're giving you um, a lot of, to me to write with, and um, Willow Books, a, an imprint of the award winning Aquarius Press which has published um, uh, Devorah's wonderful, just uh, absolutely Califia's daughter. I, I've read it several times, and I'm, I'm still in love with it. It's an absolutely, it's an absolute work of art. Yeah, I so it's agree. And, and, our, and our audience might remember when we had Devorah on, and she shared quite a bit from the book, and we're definitely going to ask Devorah to share something uh, this morning yes. before we conclude our conversation. Um so I didn't read your bios at all. So Dr. Kim McMillan <laughs> is a producer, playwright, and upcoming Willow author, Voyages. Oh, when is that coming out, um, Kim? 
Um, it was supposed to come out by now, but um, mm-hmm. I wanted to hold off till summer um, uh, 2021, and 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 our our um, our our publisher was kind enough to say yes, because I just wanted to explore a little bit more. Uh, I I should say that when we were quite younger, uh, 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 Wanda actually reviewed my production of um, um, Voyages at the Julia Morgan Theater. I think it was 2000 or 19. I think it was 2000. But but I'm so it was like 20 years ago. And Voyages was done at uh, Berkeley at the at the um Berkeley's um um Zellerbach. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Zellerbach, a playhouse in 1987. And I, I, were you there? You were you at that production? No, I wasn't at the first one. No. No. Yeah, that that one. Oh. oh my God, it was it was. You have highlights in your life, and, mm-hmm. and that was one of the highlights of my life. Um, watching it b- being done on stage with the late uh, Denise Brown as the uh, co-director and Shakiri as a choreographer, and people like Halifu Azamari, excuse me, um, um, helping out. And, and 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 including um, doing publicity, it was just um, it, it it was just you know you have times in your life that are magical, and and that was a magical time. And so to get it to get it published is is a dream come true. You know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I ran across. The uh, the review I, I wrote <laughs> no. when I was downsizing storage spaces. I'm like, oh my god, this is the review, Kim. You know, was we were talking oh, about. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. yeah, and the program. I think I have the program from that. Um, not oh. the press. Kit. <laughs> oh my god, that is like ancient. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's in such good good condition. I have a good storage space. You know, things are not falling apart there, but I have too much stuff. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so and also um you are a contributor to the anthology Some Other Blues, New Perspectives on Amiri Baraka, Ohio University Press, and that's coming out in February next year. And uh and then you already spoke about the uh anthology Black Fire this time. And um yeah, yeah. And Devora, you we're born and raised in California, and you served at San Francisco's third Port Laureate, 2002 to 2006. And I was just thinking about your project, you know, those 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 um those memorials, those altars that people construct for to honor the public memorials that people construct to honor family members that um, died through some kind of violent or violent act, and um, and and the poetry that. You curated around that. That was that was really beautiful because I'm I'm all about honoring the ancestors and a lot of times the people that are um, we see honored in these public memorials are young people. Like they're very very young, you know, like they're from really really little, like young young, like under yeah. ten or ten, but under under fifteen to you know to like twenty something, twenty five maybe. Yeah. You hardly ever yeah. see like people that are like fifty. That have been killed. No, no, no. 
Yeah, yeah. That was that was really beautiful. Where where does that live? Um, that particular project. Well, I don't. Part of it was online because it was called War and Peace on Our Streets. Okay. And so what I did was that the San Francisco Public Library, uh, whoever was their web person, who I never met, it was, that was. Uh, uh, but um, I would give them poems. I would have poems that were submitted. To me, we weren't quite as online then as we are now, so I got most of them in my P.O. box, and I took them from children, teenagers, people who self-identified as poets, people who did not identify as poets but wrote a poem. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, You know, and I had all these different categories, and one was poems specifically about San Francisco because I was San Francisco Poet Laureate. But then anything else just had to do with the theme of war and peace on our streets. And so they would turn in poems, and I would put in, in each of the categories I have a poem up, and then those poems would go to a website. Now, we did create an anthology, but it was a little bit different because it was called The Other Side of the Postcard with that mm-hmm. idea of San Francisco being the big tourist place of the world, you know, one of the cities people go to, like people go to Paris and Rome, people come to San Francisco. At least they did pre-COVID. <laughs> and so I wanted the, uh, the other side of that postcard, what what's really there. And so that okay. book, that, that anthology exists. City Lights published it. And uh, okay. it still sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah. And again, it has... An assortment of po- of poetry around that, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have two novels published, um, "An Open Weave" and "Brown Glass Windows," that have been called both science fiction and magic realism. Uh, you also have a number of science fiction short stories published in anthologies and magazines, including "Stories for Chip" and "So Long Been Dreaming." a well-oppressed editor's choice awardee, and your seventh book of poetry, Califia's Daughter, was published by Aquarius Books, Willow Press, in July of this year. And this collection, as well as two previous collections, include poems focused on your fascination with the stars and the way the ancient past holds hands with the future. And you also work as poet in residence in schools and cultural institutions, and you teach writing part-time as senior adjunct professor at California College for the Arts. And uh, you perform your work nationally and internationally with and without musicians. <laughs> and your website is devoramajor.com. Devorah is spelled D-E-V-O-R-A-H, and then major, M-A-J-O-R.com. Okie doke. Um, so, Devorah, um, what are you feeling um this morning and and before you before you start I just wanted to just pour a libation and say an ashe to um to um Garrett A Morgan um who um October 13, 1914 um invented and patented the gas mask and and I'm just like how many people know that you know that that this uh object of the invention is to provide a portable attachment with which will enable a fireman to enter a house filled with thick, suffocating gas and smoke and to breathe freely for some time therein, and thereby enable him to perform his duties or her duties now, of saving life and valuables without danger to himself from suffocation. And this device is also used for protection of engineers, chemists, and working men who are obliged to breathe noxious fumes and dust derived from the materials in which they are obligated to work. And he became a national hero one on July 24, 1916. He and his brother donned gas masks and personally led a rescue team in pulling out 
over 30 workers who have been trapped after an explosion in Tunnel Number 5 at the Cleveland Waterworks. Um, and this gas mask, at that time called the Morgan Safety Hood, was also used during World War One. Like, and, you know, people know him for inventing the stoplight, right? But I didn't know about right. the gas mask. Did you? I'm like, I didn't what? either. No. Wow. No, that's yeah. just... Yeah, Isn't that it's amazing? incredible. That, like black folks just too much. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And there's I can't remember the book uh was it uh Whitson that wrote it on black inventors and there were like mm-hmm. you know, a yeah. hundred different inventors and inventions and it was just like I think that's what it's it called, like, oh something like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, we did all of this. It's there's so much not known about how many important things we did. I mean that's why I liked um the Hollywood movie about the, uh, oh, I can't remember it now, the black women mathematicians. Oh, yes, yes. Right, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, hidden yeah, figures. Because right. it was that, yeah, mm-hmm. hidden figures, because it's that, mm-hmm. it's that we are, you know, and, and particularly when you look at the pressure cooker that we're forced to live in, yet despite that, we we, we fly, you know, kind of things, you know. Well, listen, right. I had... Hold one poem. Oh, I wanted to say that I am, besides I'm online, uh, uh, which you can go to my website and it has the Zoom address, on mm-hmm. Tuesday uh, at 3 for the okay. um, uh, reading. But I'm also going to be live. Uh, the oh. San Francisco International Arts Festival is starting outdoor wow. shows in October. And Wonderful. so on the Sunday um, of October 24th at 4... I believe I go on at four thirty. There's a storytelling yeah. and it's myself, Abdul Kenyatta and someone else and we're the oh, yeah. storytellers in the Eucalyptus Grove of Fort Mason. Oh. Uh and uh doing uh you know, uh, uh and I will be doing uh, stories but by using poems from Caliphius children. I'm gonna put it together in, into a story. Um mm-hmm. and one of them is to, uh, some of them around me and one of the things is I found out I'm RH negative, and some people say that that means that I'm an alien, and and that <laughs> truly, you can go online and look it up. And some people say, oh, that people with this blood are aliens, and uh, there are other theories too. But I like that one. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty and cool. Then, yeah, and then. Uh, I saw one of the, there's a lot of shows on TV now about aliens, ancient alien presence, aliens being here now, and in one of them, there's this very dignified African elder, I believe, from South Africa, and he's one of the griots, or griot, I never know how to pronounce it, anyway, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, 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 um, there was a time there was no moon, and it came, and there's a lot of theories about the moon not really being natural and not having always been here, and so I took those two ideas into this poem on being an alien in outer space, because we always look at, well, we're in Earth, so we're not in space, but we are in space. And also I did it after this African uh, artist, Ruby Oniyichi Amanze. She had a painting at Moad called The Spaceship with African aliens. Ancient alien theorists say my blood reveals my true origins, that I began in outer space. Perhaps I came from those who speak of ancient kin, who looked from African peaks eons ago to a sky that held no moon, before the visitors' round ship arrived and left their seeds among us. There are many clues to my origins, my feelings of being 
of almost always being an outsider, not quite fitting in anywhere despite my excellent human form camouflage, my resistance to the idea of borders, my refusal from early childhood to pledging allegiance to one small earth plot when the universe is so inconceivably vast. My carrying a passport, but being without one true homeland. My missing the innate human impulse towards war and domination. My fascination with the stars and my conviction that I am a space travel traveler all point to my existence as alien. I have, in fact, circumnavigated the sun more than 60 times during my life, always keeping about 93 million miles away which still doesn't eliminate all sunburns. Sunra spoke of being a Venusian, so I'm hardly the first or the only alien. Indeed, this planet is full of aliens, but not all of us care, know it or care to. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like the story leading up to it, too. That was That was great. You know, all the thinking that went into it. Wow, R-H negative. <laughs> oh, my God, that was so beautiful. <laughs> nice. Just Kim, do you have a poem? Oh, oh, sure. I'll, I'll okay. do one from um, Voyages. Um, this is uh, Victor, one of the characters. It's the different lifetimes are all trying to come together as one. And the oversoul is trying to help them but they they this is what Victor does in the play. I'm pacing I've been pacing for an hour like an expectant father waiting for the miracle of birth. Oh, only I'm waiting for the birth of an idea. Some things I can put on paper and call art. Instead, I stare at blank sheets wondering how to fill them, searching for something profound yet coming up empty-handed. At times, I believe it's remarkable that I call myself a writer. Why not a paper stare? Yes, that's my occupation. I stare at paper all day, trying to glean something of value between the lines, looking for a speck that will launch my career as a world's greatest paper stare. Maybe I'm fooling myself. Thoughts of suicide have come up, but I'm having trouble writing the note. This phrase doesn't have the right pathos. Or, who should I address the letter to? My landlady? Hmm, let's see. Dear landlady, I've killed myself due to a severe depression in my pocketbook. I felt so guilty about not paying the rent, I decided to take my life. She'd never believe it, of course but it would add drama to her life. What would be a fitting epitaph? Hmm. Perhaps I might at least finish that. He was a writer, buried before his time, buried by his inability to create, buried by asinine publishing companies, buried by his own yearning for something unreachable. Immortality. It's awfully dark. Perhaps this is hell. You see, I never bothered writing my letter. I cut my wrist out of the sheer futility of it all. Rather messy. I wouldn't advise upon that method, but it did the job. 
Afterwards, I hovered over my body, looking down at the gory mess. What a waste of life. I didn't know that in my mailbox sat a letter of acceptance for one of my stories with a check and clothes. Shame I wasn't there to pick it up. I watched my landlady enter my room, complaining that I never checked my mailbox. She stumbled over my body, gasped in horror, and ran out of the room. My check floated towards the floor, forgotten her rather hasty, attempted to grab it, but it floated right through my fingers, landing on a pile of rejection notices. If only I had held on just a little longer, but I saw darkness. I contemplated that darkness until it was without light. So that's the beginning of Victor's story. Oh, nice. Yeah, really. Yeah, wow, thank you. Yeah, the preview. <laughs> really? The preview of the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Well, I think well, a lot of We have to wait to 2021. Belize is early 2021. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, but, but I think... I wrote that as a 26-year-old. I'm 63. And I would admit that I remember getting jobs. And after a little bit, I would tell my boss, you know, I'm a writer. I, I really, I need to quit. And my <laughs> boss, when I had UC Berkeley, would say, oh, Kim, just sit down. And, I, and about once a year, I'd hand her my resignation. And I said, I needed to go to the beach and just write. And she said, Kim, just go back to your desk. It's like, I think when you're young, you can do these, do these crazy things. Mm-hmm. As an older yeah, adult, yeah. you'd be fired in a second. You know? That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Yeah. 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 Just, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Wow, wow. So, okay. So, Devorah, you are um, a part of um, a uh, online book fair and um Tuesday at three, right? Mhm. Yes. Yeah, and, and what's the what's yeah. in, in all this is on your website. It's yeah, I have a calendar on my website and on the calendar it says uh uh you know, it gives the precise because uh, mm-hmm. it's a long Zoom address. If it was a shorter Zoom okay. address I could uh mm-hmm. You know, right. say it, but sadly, it's not. So, uh, okay. but but uh, you know, you go to the calendar and it has it, and it's the San Mateo Virtual Book Festival at three o'clock, and yeah, and uh, uh, it's a Facebook event. So I don't know if you can get through with that because it says here I'm looking at the address. Yeah, uh, so all you have to do is go to their go to the Facebook slash uh-huh. events. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, and that's where it's going to be, and with again with James. Uh, Cagney and Jason uh, Bayani, the three of us, will be uh, sharing poetry. And then on the 24th, of Sunday at 4 p.m., which is really nice. It's an outdoor meadow at Fort Mason. There's a maximum of 49 people that are going to be able to be there. Mm-hmm. Because okay. When, no when does the San Francisco there. International Film Festival, not Film Festival, excuse me, when does the San Francisco International Art Festival, when does it start? Or when has did it that start? Is a good, I think, this weekend, uh, oh, wow. okay. yeah, they just decided that. Well, 
they got the they've been working with the um uh, the city on can we do some things live you know outside and some places you can only uh uh you can only have ten people in some places you you know we're a big audience uh uh for that you know but but they're um they decided they would do something this year rather than not have because every fall they have a, a festival every spring yeah and yeah, I know that's Andrew that they, Wood. that mm-hmm. uh, yeah that they would do it let me see um okay, yeah cuz i i didn't get anything they, from Andrew. They, it's that, yeah uh oh no I, I i'm wrong it's just that weekend october 24th to october 25th is the outdoor program oh. wonderful mm-hmm. okay and uh yeah, and and there oh, and there's a lot of different and and it's like every year it is very uh, um, very international. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not only um, uh, although obviously it's a lot. It's mostly people who are here because what can you what can you do? But there's we see a few of these people, the Mission Hot Club, Nikichi, Imarua. Is on Saturday the twenty fourth, and the Peninsula Ballet and Jessica Fudin is also on that day. Les Almos, uh, the Speakeasy Storytellers. Those are the other ones with Abdul Kinyad and myself, and the Speakeasy oh. Storytellers. Yeah, I found on it Sunday. Yeah, yeah there's, I did. So there's I think a lot of yeah, but you're right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good that um nice. that he was able to pull it off. Uh, during a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, well, that's what he was really. He was really driven. Like, no, we need to. We need to keep this going, and we need to do it. And you know, so it would be great if people would come out, and you know, uh, you know, you can go to the uh, San Francisco International Arts Festival, which is sfiaf dot org, sfiaf dot org, and see the whole yeah. program, and come out and support us artists because we really need the support. And the tickets are like five to ten dollars for yeah. the event. Yeah, yeah, really, really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Oh, good. I have to get I have to get Andrew on my show next week um, to bring yeah to let people know more. But I'm so happy that you're you're in it. <laughs> so then, um, you know, you could tell yeah. us all about it. That's that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I just found that a few days ago. They're, but they're, they're pulling it together quickly, but they're doing it. And I think that that's what's important sometimes, that we as artists, we just have to do. We have to know we're doing. We're alive. We're out yeah. here. We're, you know, you know, making things happen, you know, mm-hmm. and not letting, right. not getting, I think part of the, the, the virus thing is it makes us afraid, afraid of the world, afraid of each other, afraid of ourselves, just afraid. And I think that there's uh, another agenda in that fear making. So it's very important to not be crippled by the fear, you know. Mm-hmm. So wear your mask. Right. <laughs> yeah, wear oh, your mask. Yeah. I'm not feet. saying be an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Social distance, wear your mask, carry around the antibacterial so you can, yeah. you know, clean yeah. your hands. You know, don't, yeah, yeah. Be intelligent. <laughs> there are so many people who are not doing that. There are so many people that aren't intelligent. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Kim. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that is real. Yes, yes. So yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not a bandana, like a real mask. The bandana yeah, a real mask. Yeah. 
a real mask and yeah, don't three, keep three using the same disposable, disposable uh, uh, ban- uh, mask day after day after day. That's why they're disposable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of that, yeah, they so, need yeah, to be, very yeah. important. Yeah, Yeah, but they need to have these three layers so that, you know, if you sneeze, the the spray doesn't go through the mask. That's why the bandanas don't work, because they don't hold the the spittle in. It goes out of it. Well, the same as the shield. I'm just seeing people's smiles, too, and it's, you know, and yeah, people have a shield on. You can see their face and their whole face, but then they don't give that level of virus perspective. Protection, no. you know, yeah, from no. to or from others, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. People use. I mean, they, I've seen people with the um, well, the shield and and the mask, you know, together are nice because you, your eyes are covered because things can come yeah. into your body through your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they're saying that people who wear eyeglasses uh, eight hours a day seem to be more resistant to COVID because so much does come in through the eyes, which wasn't understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. may I just yeah. mention the Sunday's program one more time? Oh, uh, certainly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's this Sunday, uh, October 11th, uh, Afrofuturism and the Black Speculative Arts. It begins at 2 p.m. It's free to the public. You can find it on Facebook. You can also go to my little webpage, um, D-R-K-I-M-M-C-M-I-L-L-O-N, Dr. Kim McMillan. And um, uh, and you can just click on to the link and be able to register and and take part at the same time. And uh, I really I really am excited about this. I I'm so thankful that African American writers are writing these stories. I I belong to Black Science Fiction. Uh, uh, society online, and it's just wonderful. That's just one of the places where you just see these incredible stories, and, and you just think, "Oh, what what brilliance!" And it's it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yeah. I say yeah. to um, the goddess Octavia Butler. Oh, yes. absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. I would not be brilliant. writing. Uh, um, uh, what I am um, uh, without Octavia Butler. Uh, I read other Incredible. science fiction, but Octavia Butler definitely, you know. Uh, she was she yeah. just just brilliant. Just so yeah. grateful that these people came to Earth with their messages. That's that's all I mm-hmm. have to say about it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you to both of you for this wonderful free-wielding conversation. <laughs> it was really lovely. And, and I want I want to let the audience know that I was uh, sharing uh, about Garrett Morgan, um, the amazing uh, African-American uh, inventor from the African-American Book of Days, Inspirational History and Thoughts for Every Day of the Year by Julia Stewart. And it's really wonderful. I was really enjoying it, um, sort of reading about, well, what happened today? Um, and and I was looking, and today, um, October 9th, I think is the birthday of, yes, no, no, the uh, the death day. Benjamin Banneker died today um, in 1806 hmm. at the age of 74 in Baltimore, Maryland. 
and he was a mathematician, surveyor, and astronomer, and was the most famous African-American of the colonial era. And, you know, he's the one that designed, along with some other um, uh, city planners, um, the city of, um, of, well, the District of Columbia, uh, Washington, D.C. He's the one that um, uh, was was assigned by President George Washington to design the nation's new capital city. And it is one of the, its design is, is unprecedented. Uh, unprecedented to yes. date, the way it's laid out. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the White House because the first it burnt down, and the mm. the uh, I guess Frenchman or something who had designed it was mm-hmm. uh, died, and Benjamin Banneker said, "Not to worry, I remember it all." <laughs> yeah, he memorized it. Yeah, what happened? The Frenchman he he got mad and he just left. But Benjamin Banneker okay. had memorized the the um, the, uh, the the complete the design. Yeah, it was Pierre Charles, and they actually named one of those um, metro stations after it. It looks like Le Infant, but that's not how you pronounce it. Uh, La Fount, um, but I don't yeah. know how to pronounce it. Yeah, but he's the one that packed up his plans and maps and returned to France because he was mad at the president. But Banneker. Right, but I. <laughs> I've always wondered if Banneker really remembered it all or if he simply Just designed what Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. always had a theory that, that yes, he did some of it he did do based on what was done, but then he was like, you know, he I always thought he shouldn't have done this and this really needs to be that way. And because he was mm-hmm. that brilliant. Yeah, he was. Yes. He was. He like he made the first clock, right? And people were like it it ran it it, it was like so correct that I think for 24 years, you know, it 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 functioned. He built it, um, wooden clock, and people were like coming all over the place, like to 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 check it out because nobody else had a clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think your theory is probably correct, Devora. Yeah. They were they were his plans, not this other guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, speculative fiction, right? Speculative reality. <laughs> that's what that's what it means yeah. to be a black person, right? We're a speculative reality. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Well, I look well, forward to seeing you all um, on Monday because you know Sunday is the Mahafa commemoration, our 25th right, annual. Right. So we will be in Zoom um, honoring the ancestors. But um, I, I, it's, I think we might end a little. Soon enough for me to be able to pop over to yours. How long are you going to the what, Kim? Oh, mine is, um, it's only an hour and a half. It's um, oh. two to, um, so so I'm going to go to yours early and then leave probably early, and mine is from 2 to 3.30, um, uh, okay. Black Speculative Fiction, or, or oh. Oh, the arts. But, but, right. but we this, this is the first of three. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll right. be, you you can catch some of the others, you know. Right, and I can and, and still watch it because me. it'll be it'll be in, oh um, yeah uh, on the website. Mm-hmm. Right, cool. exactly, cool. exactly. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's it's you. like, had, like I had you all over. You know, yeah. we were sitting around, you know, having some tea. And yeah, just, really. Yeah, yeah that's. What, I, yeah. I was thinking that at one moment. <laughs> yes, yes. This has been so nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah. to talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You all take good care and have a good rest okay. of the morning. Okay. You too. Bye. <laughs> okay. You right. too. Bye. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Let's see. Um, I was all ready to figure out what I was going to play in the way of music. <laughs> and um, I um, kind of decided I have all these great ideas. I was thinking about playing something for Peru, Nova Lima. And uh, I think I'm going to play Rocky uh, Dewoonies because, you know, we started out with the piece um, honoring Marcus Garvey. Um, and uh, and so this one here, uh, Rocky uh, uh, Dewoonie, is called Black Star. Redemption music, you know. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a rumble in the streets, it's forgetting loud. Now there is no doubt what this is all about. See the rival sun, lift over the clouds. When our voices sing, it rings. These are the days when the greatest mystery revealed to one and all so easily. From the darkest hour of the night comes the break of the brand new dawn, like a star.
comes the break of a brand new day Like a star In this day and age Rally round the brand Rocky, Dawuni, Black Star, Red, Go, Black, and Green. Um, rally around the flag. Red, Black, and Green. Um, yeah, yeah, we had a great, great show today. Um, lots of great information. A lot of things people can get into uh, that are about Black liberation. So. Um, have a good weekend. Look forward to another edition of Wanda's Fix on Wednesday, the thirteenth, no, the fourteenth. <laughs> and looking forward to seeing folks um, at the first uh, virtual Maafa commemoration in the San Francisco Bay Area and our twenty-fifth anniversary Maafa commemoration, eleven a.m. Pacific time on October eleventh. And it's going to be broadcast in Facebook through Zoom. And all you need to do is go to facebook.com, Bay Area Ma'afa. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to see you in the house. Wear white. Um, bring your children. Uh, you need a, a red flower, rose would work, uh, some white flowers, uh, some water for the altar, a plant, uh, some food for the ancestors and yourself. We're going to... You're going to, you know, have some time to settle in because um, it's going to be a really good program. Uh, We're going to have both live uh, presentations as well as archival presentations. And at the end of the live program, we're going to broadcast from the archival uh, footage of commemorations at Ocean Beach in San Francisco going back to like 1998 and 2004 and plus an interview with some of the founders of um, Ma'afa um, West, lest we forget. All righty, you take good care again. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Peace and blessings.